You're listening to Arsenal Pass, a flesh and blood podcast for players by players. And all about strategy, leveling up, and the latest news in the world of Wraith. Welcome to Arsenal Pass. When I flew back home yesterday, Brendan, I, um, you know, I'm notorious and I talk about a little bit about not getting hit with the jet lag. Ah, yeah. 2 p.m. in the afternoon, I fell asleep for a good uh, two to three hours. <laughs> That's because you make just, you just consistently make bad decisions. I was I was there at the guild house at two in the morning when I was going to sleep, which I should have not been out that late anyway. But you were not. You were going somewhere else because you just you thought it'd be a good idea to not sleep that night and get on your flight at 7 a.m. and then do your 20 hour flight to Australia or whatever it is. So. uh I don't know if that's jet lag or you just realized you're finally a human being. Might be the latter. Yeah. No, I feel much better today. Day two of being back home. Had a good night's sleep last night, feeling well rested. But look, it's the last night of, of the World Championship. How could I just turn around and, and head straight home when there's there's more people to hang out with? You know? maybe, maybe book a later flight next time. <laughs> yeah, that's probably my lesson learned, to be honest. But I got home late at night on the Tuesday, I think about 8 p.m., and then went straight to bed and then woke up the next morning and... Uh, about mostly good until, as I say, about 2 p.m. But yeah, well, we are home from the World Championship, Brendan. It's all over. It's nothing but a, a dream at this point, a distant memory. You know, reality sets in. Uh, this is episode 83 of Arsenal Pass, the Flesh and Blood World Championship 2022, where we're going to reflect on our, our past weekend. Very different weekends for both of us, very different perspectives. You know, Brendan, yourself spending the weekend in the coverage booth, myself out on the floor. Uh, but we did get to hang out a little bit, maybe not as much as we'd usually like. You know, we got to see each other at some social events. And uh, we're going to talk all about what happened at Worlds, our sort of lessons learned, our highs, lows, and uh, maybe where this format goes next as we are about to see Dynasty release this coming weekend. As this pod drops, actually, around the world, it's already released in some countries, and uh, you'll be getting your hands on it very soon. But, you know, Brendan, won't dive into your week in flesh and blood because that's kind of our pod this week. But, uh, you know, how, how are you feeling post getting back? Obviously, not as long a flight for you as, as it was for me, but a bit of travel. Yeah, I'm still good. My throat is a bit raspy. Uh, so it might be coming through on this, on the podcast here. But over, I feel great. Uh, I had an awesome time, which we're going to recap, obviously, throughout this pod. But, you know, my my situation during this tournament was quite different from <laughs> previous uh previous tournament and and i did i did really enjoy it to be honest i, I thought it was uh it was a great success at least for me personally and um yeah just really can't can't express enough how happy i am with the weekend the event and just everything that surrounds that the people these experiences for us they they truly are just a touch above everything else in my life to be honest um and i'm just Really, really appreciative that we get to do this kind of thing, these kinds of things in our life. Yeah, this game has the the best community. I'm sure, you know, we've said it before on the pod, people say it all the time, but it really is true that the community that surrounds this game kind of, kind of makes it, you know, uh, you, if you take out of isolation, the people that were there this weekend, look, the venue wasn't great. There's some things to be said about that. Uh, the experience at the venue with facilities and things was not perfect, far from it, in fact. Um, but you know, the, the game itself, the, the people that surround it, the people who, who make this game and, and spend, you know, a lot of their time on this game also, uh, you know, talk a bit about that with the, the, <laughs> the dev challenge. Like, there he is, Brendan Patrick touching the mic. Uh, we'll talk about the dev challenge and stuff and, and some of the, the cool people that, you know, gave up their time to, to be at the world championship, but yeah, got a big, first big shout out for this podcast has to go to the flesh and blood community. 
Brilliant. We're going to dive into it. Should we <clears throat> should we talk some news and stuff first? Because we do have a, a few different things to cover before we get into the main topic of the pod. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we can probably lead it off with just a big congratulations to a sort of friend of the channel, Mr. Michael Hamilton. I think that Michael Hamilton is an extremely talented individual, but on top of that does work very hard and probably one of the best champions that Flesh and Blood could ask for. A very humble person. Um, and yeah, I'm just very, very proud of Michael for how far he's come in such a short amount of time. And I do think that as a community, we should be very happy with Michael Hamilton being our you know, first official world champion. Yeah, massive congrats to Michael. Look, I mean, it's so funny. It's like so excited for him and, and uh, you know, standing there on Sunday watching the presentation. It was just so funny. I was just like, oh, this isn't at all surprising. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's just like, you know, there was obviously a lot of narratives coming into this event uh, with so many amazing players in this game. And this world championship was a level above like even the pro tours people were playing hard people had prepped the quality of 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 play at this event was just out of this world but um you know for some reason when it was all the dust and, and michael was standing there i just was like yep okay <laughs> it makes a lot of sense <laughs> but to me i guess to me honestly it was like i mean he was like even favorite for me to to win this event so um you know massive congrats to michael though like doesn't put out all his hard work because he put a lot of effort into to make sure he could uh could do this could hold that trophy at, you know aloft on sunday and um also just a massive congratulations to everyone that competed at worlds just getting to world, the world championships in itself is is a feat you know it was the hardest event to qualify for so far you know there was no pro quest season for this this is the world championships you had to redeem a pti you had to be elo ranked uh or you know i guess some people might say the, the xp line-in which was my line-in uh for this event was was the easiest uh way in but even then people are still showing up at their locals at these events at these grind these grind fests that are road to nationals and ProQuest week after week to make sure that they can be there and um you know also to the top eight a stacked top eight really and some other narratives continued to be evolved and uh and started this weekend and i i just can't wait for the 2023 op season because it's going to be a continuation of what has happened here at world championships i look at someone like uh chris Ali who who made the final against you know, against Michael in his own right, has his own kind of narrative that's building. Uh, someone like Daniel uh, Rakowski, you know, who who got a rematch with with Michael after that uh, US Nationals final, things like that. You know, these, I'm sure you guys are talking about all this in the booth. I haven't caught up with the, the topic coverage yet, but yeah. So yeah, I just want to, I just want to point out the most imp- important narrative, which is for some reason it's been downplayed over the past few months. There's these little tournaments called Pro Tours and some people te- mm-hmm. seem to take them seriously, but I mean, almost objectively and is that the United States is the strongest region in the world. Um, everybody else simply does not compare. I mean, look at how many people we put in that top eight. And then ultimately the champion, Michael Hamilton, the United States golden boy right there. No, but I just, it, it was a bit of a performance for the U.S. after a few disappointing pro tours. Um, and it was nice. It was cool for the narrative to, ha- to have uh, you know that much success in this tournament. And, you know, Michael Hamilton... <laughs> yeah, take it down. I mean, he's he's truly he's truly just quite the flesh and blood player at this point. Yeah, we're gonna uh, get into the full event, and I want to talk more about that top eight breakdown and more about these narratives. And there's a particular region, Brendan, that I think uh, might have overshadowed the US. You know, although Michael won this weekend, there was a region that really came to the forefront this weekend. But we'll we'll talk about that more as we get into the pod. Want to also give a massive shout out to Chandler Toe for winning a calling San Jose on Reiner, Brendan. What a what an awesome achievement. Uh, people might not realize, but me and Chandler actually played in uh, in the World Championships. We played in round four on camera. 
uh, Chandler was playing Reiner in that. Uh, I managed to get the W there. But actually, Chandler had a rematch against one of our testing uh, group, Mike, in the calling, playing against Reiner. And, uh, and uh, Chandler learned his lesson, he said, and did not uh, go shields down against against Mike and, and took that match. So uh, that was a cool story to hear. And uh, Chandler, just an awesome dude. We're actually going to have Chandler on the channel this coming week, probably in the next two days after this pod drops, with his uh, Reiner deck doing a full deck tech for Arsenal Pass. So super excited to do that. And, you know, again, two, two very deserving winners this weekend and two very cool people, which is is awesome. Yeah, and we're definitely going to dig into it, but the class constructed meta, both at Worlds and the Calling, was absolutely wild. <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, be- yeah, we will. We definitely will. Um, otherwise, in the news, a few things we want to cover. Dynasty releases this Friday around the world. We've seen the full set now. Me and Brendan, we we actually did a, a patrons pod uh, about 10 days ago, I want to say. We talked about the previous season so far and what we'd seen. And I, I think I want to give us the opportunity, Brendan, to talk about this quickly with everyone and I want you to give me out of ten how excited you are for Dynasty because I think at the time, if I was, if I'm being honest, I was like, yeah, this set looks looks okay, it looks good. I'm excited about some things, but the the three days of full previews just blew me away. Like the full reveal of Assassin, all the class cards, the cards we saw for, uh, you know, for all the heroes, all the classes rather, just I think took it up a level. It really reminds me a lot of what Crucible of War did to this game at the start, introducing new ways for heroes to play and. I think if I was to now look at it, I'm I can't wait to get my hands on Dynasty tomorrow and and start brewing and playing. My kind of thought was, ah, you know, maybe I'll wait a few weeks and and grab my Dynasty cards. But uh, uh, Brendan, I've already pre-ordered basically everything, so uh, <laughs> I'm excited to get into it. If I gave a, a rating to the what the set looks like to me before we even get to play with it, I'm I have really high expectations. I'm around like an eight eight five nine. Like the set looks really cool to me. Same for me. I would say when we evaluated it with the spoilers we were working with, it was around a five. Not bad, but not good either. It was just the the math was sort of quantitatively below, and we didn't see uh, any too many other mechanics to go on top of that that would make up for sort of that math matrix being a bit lower than we were expected. That's been a bit that's been blown out of the, ro- the water with the introduction of the assassin class, and you know some strict upgrades for wizard, which I'm not too disappointed about, but a lot of cards to really to expand on current heroes that exist, new ways to play current heroes. And I think that's something that Crucible of War gave us that Dynasty will now expand on even more. Mm-hmm. Next week, we are doing a Dynasty and Classic Constructed or Constructed sort of review pod where we're going to dive. It's going to be a longer one. We're going to dive right into into Dynasty. I think that's right, Brennan, next week. Um, but before there, is there like one or two cards that you're kind of already eyeing up that you want to get straight into and, and play games? Like for me, Looming Doom, the new Runeblade uh, card, is something that I really want to try and build around and, and have a look at. And uh, Brainstorm. I mean, I, I, I've got to have a look at this Brainstorm card. Is there an OTK combo? I mean, in theory, there is. Is it good? We'll see. Yeah, I wonder if that, that OTK combo is too on the nose that they would have you know made it not sure. powerful enough because it, it it's, it's so clear to see. It's like, okay, yeah, I'm good. this might be a win con. So I wonder if it'll just be sort of an incremental advantage card referring to Brainstorm. For me, I'm mostly, uh, the thing I'm most excited for is the, the Assassin class in general. I think it's an extremely cool way of playing Flesh and Blood. This idea of manipulating the top card of your opponent's deck, um, creating these contracts, and a lot of blue cards that block for three. It's, um, <laughs> it, it's right up my alley. And on top of that i just want to dig more into wizard i think is potentially you know after coming off of casting this weekend i do have the opportunity to sort of play a lot of heroes that i really enjoy right unless i'm preparing for a major event um, i'm able to sort of dive into wizard and just get deeper into kano and icelander which are the two heroes that just bring me the most joy in flesh and blood right now Mm -hmm. future events well i've got i've got a question for you 
about that in the main topic of the pod and uh, be interesting to hear what you sort of feel for the future of Ren and Patrick. This is going to be a, a pod full of stories and anecdotes that I'm sure. And, and one was for me Saturday night, we come back, you know, top eight's all set in uh, stone. Uh, I'm getting ready for the dev challenge and uh, and a, a couple of the guys come back and they're like, all right, let's let's fire up. As James White intended it, let's fire up Talishar across the table from each other on a couple of laptops and play Arachne games. <laughs> Uh, which was cool to see everyone everyone just getting into it right and and wanting to play with this new class uh, the assassin class which is super cool Um, so yeah by the time this pod drops halfway around the world Dynasty is released and uh, in North America and Europe not far off so go and get your hands on it Uh, Goliath Gauntlet wrapped up just before the Pro Tour you know don't let that be overshadowed by uh, the Pro Tour an amazing event run by 983 Media uh, with some of the casting team your flesh and blood casting team that you saw this past weekend in San Jose and a big congratulations uh Avert your ears now if you still haven't watched it, but Margin Bay for taking it out on Icelander in a you know a content creator showdown final against Dan Armada. And uh, I think if anyone had those two in the final in their brackets, phone in because I'd be very, very surprised. But both of them did amazing and uh, some, some great scalps and results. Margin Bay taking out uh, Michael Hamilton on the way and uh, Tarek Patel being bested by Dan Armada in that event. And it just a really run, well, run a well-run event. And I'm excited to see more of this kind of thing in the future, I, I hope that, in fact, you know, this sort of thing is the sort of thing we could see now during downtime and things like that with new sets. So I'm sure we'll uh, we'll see more things in the future. I think a lot of people wrote off the content creators in those brackets, but interesting to see a final between two quote-unquote content creators. And not surprised to see Imagine Bay take it out. Of course, you know, my round one loss, if I hadn't faced Imagine, probably would have made it to the finals. Um, but no, he's a fantastic player. I'm actually a huge fan of um, him as a human being had the sort of pleasure of meeting him multiple times now throughout the years or throughout the year, probably considers it's probably years now, I guess first met him in the calling Dallas, but awesome dude. Very nice, very humble and just a pleasure to be around. I agree. agree. Got to have a few chats with him this weekend and almost convinced him to play Kano in the calling, but uh, he decided to play Icelander. Uh, you know, he should play Kano, but that, that's okay. Um, want to also give a just big shout out to all the Arsenal Patreon, Arsenal Pass patrons. Uh, we met a big group of them at uh, Worlds. We got a, a really cool AP patron photo. Uh, there was, you know, obviously not everyone, but we did get to get a photo with those who could make it over and grab a photo with us. Um, and uh, thanks for, you know, to everyone for coming and saying hello to us. I'm Brendan. I'm sure, you know, you got to have conversations with a lot of people. You're very busy, a bit more busy than I was. I didn't really get to see much of you. I'm sure people grabbed you when they could. Uh, but it was really nice to, to have people come up and, and chat, especially at things like the Guildhouse afterwards and um, and things like that. There's a pretty sick uh, promo prize for showing up for that picture Ooh, as well. More on that in a minute. Yeah, a few of our patrons who did show up to get the uh, photo with us got a first exclusive. Uh, they got gifted something that we are going to be we're going to be giving away some of these as well, uh, as well as they are going to be available for full purchase uh, very soon. But more on that. Uh, actually, more on that right now because we do have a 5,000 sub giveaway. Brendan, we hit 5,000 subscribers on YouTube. Uh, thanks to everyone who, you know, who's been subbing to the channel, uh, giving us the big thumbs up on our videos and, and just getting us out there to more people. It really helps and, you know, we really appreciate it. But we do have a 5,000 sub giveaway as promised. Uh, we're giving away two sort of Arsenal Pass swag packs. I don't know what to call them, Brendan, but uh, to celebrate 5,000 subs that include, you know, we've got a t-shirt for you. Uh, you might have seen mm-hmm. me wearing this at, at uh, Worlds with the Arsenal Pass logo on it. Uh, there's a play mat in there, Arsenal Pass uh, resource token, which is what we're about to uh, put up as well for sale. You can see this. I'm showing this on camera right now. If you can, you can kind of see that, can you? You see that, Bryn? Is that coming up? Very, very cool. Oh, I pick it the right way. There we go. Uh, enamel finished uh, resource token with our our Arsenal Pass colorations and, and branding on it. 
And uh, this is in conjunction with uh, Middle Fab Tokens. They've done an amazing job, uh, Brandon over there, putting this together. The, I don't think the camera's quite doing it justice here, but it's, um, yeah, it's finished up really well with that enamel finish, which is great. So there's one of those in the pack as well, uh, as well as a pad and a place it for full art foil Herald of Rebirth. So if you want to get in the draw, Brendan, I didn't actually think it's far ahead. Uh, <laughs> Surely it is. Uh, throw a comment in the uh, throw a comment up on YouTube because that does help engagement. And make sure you like and subscribe as well. You know we're at five thousand now, but six thousand is right around the corner. And even better if you're feeling super generous, right around the holiday season, right around Christmas, you want to throw us a nice review on your podcast platform of choice. Rate this slash Arsenal Pass, but throw us a nice five star review if you like the pod and tell us a funny joke as well. It helps us out more than I can articulate into words because SEO is everything. And I do appreciate so much all of the reviews we've gotten so far. They genuinely have helped push our podcast past what we ever could have imagined. Yeah, 100%. Wow. You. Great job, Brendan. That was what everyone comes cuff, to listen bro. to the podcast I'm for. Is, is yeah, for the spiel. The exactly. No. <laughs> but uh, if you do want to get your hands on this uh, this swag pack, I'll pass swag pack with those uh, heroes in there as well. Yeah, just drop a comment below. Just whatever you want. Maybe give us some feedback. Give us some stuff of what you'd like us to cover in the future. You know, we've, what are we, 83 episodes deep. There's a lot of things that are on our mind that we'd like to cover with sort of big full episodes. But if there's things that you'd love to hear us talk about, uh, or just, you know, maybe you've got some something that you loved that Brendan said over the weekend on commentary. Uh, or you want to give commiserations for my Ryanair game on camera, you know, wh- whatever, you drop your comments below. Um, and also more details to come on these these cool resource tokens and how you can get these. They will be up, I believe, next week uh, on Fab Metal Tokens uh, website. Metal Fab Tokens. My goodness, Brendan, Brandon was saying, I just could not get it right all, all weekend. Metal Fab Tokens. Um, <clears throat> we do have a few things coming up on the channel as well. Just lastly, before we close it out, there's a few sort of announcements and stuff. So we do have a deck tech with Chandler uh, coming up this week on his Rhino list that took down the calling. We do have uh, probably a video coming on Kano at some point, but no firm time on that. Obviously, I played Kano at the PT and our whole sort of testing group is on it. Um, it probably won't be a traditional deck tech, but it will be diving into a lot of things Kano related. Uh, Icelander deck tech we will do on the Icelander list that we, we played at Worlds. A uh, bit of a, a funkier Icelander list. And um, a Kano Cyborg Guide from the World Championship list will go up on the Patreon in the next week. We do also have, uh, I guess, uh, as well, our Dynasty in Class Constructed and uh, Blitz review pod next week. And then, Brendan, you have something very special that you want to tell everyone about that's up and coming for early next year. Yeah, so I think we're going to close out like the hard details at the, at the end of this pod. But just to sort of tease it a bit, the next Fab Fitness Challenge is sort of in the works, it's done. It's going to be a marathon in Austin, Texas on February 19th. I was schmoozing a lot of bigger con- big content creators this weekend and have gotten a lot of people involved, big names, household names, people that I have dreamed of working with, <clears throat> quote unquote, might be a part of some so-called wolf pack or something like that. But going to be joining us in Austin. I think this is going to be an awesome event. I did say there's a marathon, but there is, of course, also a half marathon and a 5K. Do heavily encourage anybody and everybody to come out. Um, 5Ks, you can walk them. Uh, They are pretty hard to run as well. I personally will be doing the marathon and will be training from now up until then. Um, So we'll be documenting all of my training schedule, my diet, everything. I'm basically going from zero to hero with this. I'm a person that if I had not been training, I would struggle to run a mile. I'm genuinely terrible at it. So I tried to pick the hardest thing I could possibly conceive because if I can do it, you can absolutely, absolutely do it too. More details on that, but Austin, Texas, February 19th, 
tons of people going, tons of content creators. I think we have a chance to make this the biggest community event that has ever happened in flesh and blood. And I just really hope to see you all out there. As always, the main communication portal for us is going to be on our Patreon Discord. You do not need to be on there whatsoever. There'll be tons of stuff on Twitter. Um, but if you, <clears throat> if you do want to get down in sort of the mud with me, hop on our Patreon Discord and we'll be sorting out all sort of training regimens, uh, diet, all that good stuff. I'm super excited, Hayden. And, um, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm training. I'm already training pretty hard for this marathon. And it's going to be, it's going to be rough. Hit start. I, I heard it. Okay. <clears throat> no, it's, uh, I, I had like a two weeks head start. Give me a break. <laughs> I, I, I do know Brendan is not, uh, not the most accomplished runner. So, uh, you know, he, he might need it as, as would I, to be honest. Um, no, very exciting. So yeah, as Brendan says, watch out for more details to come. Yeah, I do want to. I do want to also throw out. <laughs> sorry, this is a little bit of an agenda, but do th- throw throw out a little call to action here in terms of like for that event. If there is anybody, we are looking for someone to help us organize it. So this is going to be kind of a bigger logistical undertaking in terms of like setting up the venue, places to meet, getting people there, sponsors, like all of that. If somebody does want to help you want want to help us with that, please reach out to me. Please DM me. We are happy to pay you either in cash or pay for your flights and accommodation to get to the event but it would be super helpful if there's someone who genuinely enjoys doing something like that or just you think you're very good at it. Um, I am notori- notoriously not. I sort of make do with what I can, but uh, I'm, the, I'm, the, I'm, the, I'm the thinker. You know, I, I don't know. It's not great at organizing, to be honest, and I need to get better at it. But if you want to help and that's something you're interested in, please reach out to me because I would be incredibly, incredibly useful. He's an ideas man, you know. Yeah, that's what every that's what every sort of disorganized like <laughs> person is like. I'm the idea guy. I'm like, no, nah, you're not. <laughs> yeah. All right, Ben. Well, uh, moving on because uh, some people have accused us of of fluffing the pod before, and we've spent 20 minutes talking about it. not really flesh and blood, but I think some really exciting stuff. Uh, Commander Cookout time. Don't know if you were down in San Jose, but there was a, there was a few barbecues happening down there. So uh, we have a great. Hey, is- <laughs> oh, I was just going to say, is this the one where people got robbed, or the one that people didn't? <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> oh no i just i feel i kind of want to apologize on behalf of the united states for the people that unfortunately ran into some trouble in california one of the players being in the top eight and of course jacob peterson uh sorry about that that man is a magnet for chaos oh my goodness yeah no i i had heard about uh i actually couldn't be happier when i saw uh Viet in the in the top eight we we played yeah. uh day one he was my first loss on day one i think round five or six uh and yeah no one deserves uh a bit of a return on that weekend more than viet after uh, a pretty unfortunate event there so um all right come on cookout time we have a question from the Tico foundry from marco who we actually got to meet uh at uh, at the patreon sort of catch up and photo sesh that we did at worlds uh and i think a really great question and one brendan that i think we've both sort of thought about and i readdressed this weekend before the event but any tips for finding planning food during events? In San Jose, I didn't have a plan for food and often skipped most of my meals. When I was able to eat, it wasn't re- it, re- it usually wasn't nutritious food and had to be within walking distance of the tent. My food and sleep quality were poor, impacted by my play during the day as I was pretty exhausted. How do you prepare ahead of time for large-scale events? Sorry, I had to chuckle there just about the tent. It's just going to be an ongoing an ongoing thing, the, the tent, because a lot, if you saw coverage, you saw the inside of it. You did not see the outside. Um <laughs> Brendan, any thoughts from your side? What about, you know, you're on coverage. Like, how, how, what about even for this weekend? Like, how did you get access to food and stuff? Like, you know, I, I think I barely saw you. You were, if not covering most rounds, then you were on the, the card viewer. You were uh, around talking to people. 
So the same way I always get food. So the way I have, I have celiac disease, so I can't eat gluten. Um, and I rarely eat dairy, so I'm not just going to go scarf down a yogurt. So I literally cannot eat anything at those concession stands. That, none of that food is even in my possible wheelhouse. So for me, I always bring food. So I will go to a grocery store beforehand, find sort of somewhat nutritious food, whether it's fruit, um, you know, some chicken, maybe find something like a, like a gluten-free sandwich that can get me through the day. And I'll do that, that and kind of black coffee. On the other hand, if you are on coverage specifically, um, they do do some Uber Eats orders, which can tend to be kind of hard for me again because of the celiac and the gluten and Uber Eats is just notoriously terrible for, for allergies and stuff. So um, I would order some food in, but during an event, I always bring food. I think that's like one of the best ways to be prepared, to be honest, is just bring food to the event. That concession food, not only is it most of it garbage for your body, um, it's actually extremely overpriced and expensive and I don't think that you should be buying it anyway. So yeah, just hit a grocery store the night before um, and find stuff that's easy to pack. I bring a little food bag with me. I walk around you know, to my to my matches, to my tables with it. Um, yeah, and I, that's the way I handle it. Hayden, what about you? Yeah, hitting a grocery store the night before is a great uh, piece of advice, but I wouldn't recommend spending 45, 50 minutes in a grocery store because uh, some people don't know how to order a sandwich. <sighs> Uh, <laughs> I forgot. I forgot you were there. Oh my god, Dante Del Fico. <laughs> Dante Del Fico ordered a sandwich which took literally half an hour to be made from a little deli counter at a uh, Whole Foods, which was <clears throat> entertaining at first, and then ultimately very frustrating. <laughs> um, yeah, look, I think there's a few. A few people have different strategies, so I can talk to what other people I know do as well. So I've got a few friends who are on the uh, they're on the no eating strategy. Uh, so they like to uh, maybe eat something in the morning or nothing in the morning and then survive off uh, coffee. Uh, I think they, for some reason, think that helps their brain focus. I am not in that camp whatsoever. Uh, so that one, if you're on that one, you don't need to worry about preparing food, right? You just go for a massive meal after the event. Um, I honestly think it's like during the day, things and during the weekend, everything happens so fast. It's so hard to be in the moment because you're like round to round, you're chatting to people. So many things are happening. So I do honestly think like Brennan says, like being just spending a little bit of time to prepare is, is going to give you the most return. So I did the same. Me and Brennan went to, to a grocery store the night before. Um, I like to have breakfast in the morning. So I made sure I had breakfast food for the Airbnb, just literally some yogurt, granola and, and berries. Like I feel like it's a good way to start the day. It's, you know, some some uh, some carbohydrates and um, some proteins and I think two overcomplicated, quite simple foods that I know I'm going to be able to digest pretty well during the day. And then I like to just take snacks with me. I don't generally eat lunch myself uh, just because I don't want to eat something too heavy. I don't like to eat something too heavy, um, like sandwiches or anything like that during the day. So I'll generally go for like, you know, like sort of scroggin, trail mix, nuts, whatever you want to call it. Maybe a few sort of like protein bars, uh, a couple of bananas I like to get into as well. And yeah, I, I, I don't like to eat too much. And then I'll generally sort of refuel, refeed a little bit at the end of the day when we go out for dinner. Um, but that's kind of kind of my strategy. I honestly just think it's like, the the preparation just take some time to get yourself sorted so you uh because it really does suck like i know what you're saying uh tickler foundry like the if you're on that day and you're like i'm getting to the point like i'm starving i can't focus on my games because i'm so hungry it's like well what am i going to do i'm going to run over to the random cafe where i'm paying ten dollars for two bottles of water uh and probably fourteen dollars <laughs> for a soggy sandwich right which is you know i mean and i won't say all the food there might not have been terrible but you know it's like is that really what you want to do and do you want to take the chance um i would just say if you can at least prep some snacks and stuff so that you can have some sustenance during the day. Uh, unless you're one of these interesting people on the no food strategy, no eating strategy, which apparently works for some people, but does not mm. work for me personally. 
I've done a few tournaments and competitions on the no food strategy and it does work. It does work fine for me. I know some people, they start to focus a little bit on the hunger, but I think it's a strategy. I don't, I don't think that if it, if it doesn't explicitly make you better, don't do it because you're going to be unhappy. Um, I would just want to add on to that. And I think like nutritionally, there's something we've talked about a lot. It's just like, don't fall into the trap of eating like a freaking pizza or something for lunch. That's going to make you tired pretty much every time. And yeah, so anything like heavy carb load is just not the way you want to go. I think you want to go like lean proteins, um, fruit, little snacks like that. But uh, yeah, I can't. I've seen so many people go to that lunch break, eat a massive pizza or something like that, and then just totally comatose for the rest of the tournament. I do. I've never seen Michael Hamilton eat, so maybe he's on the no eating strategy during events. We have to find out. I've never seen. I've actually never seen Michael Hamilton eat at all in general. You've so seen him. You have me, seen him eat a burrito or something to that. Degree. Oh yes, I forgot that Michael Hamilton. His, by the way, a French Chipotle. Funny, yes, he only eats Chipotle after after tournaments. So like after Worlds, he wanted to go to Chipotle. He always wants to go to Chipotle. So when we were in France, we actually went to the French Chipotle. We went to this burrito Chipotle place. It was literally a French ripoff of a Chipotle. And happy as can be <laughs> was Michael Hamilton. Yeah, uh, great question, uh, Tickler Foundry. I think it's it's something that like. If you get to the event and you haven't thought of beforehand, it can really punish you. So I do think, you know, for, for people heading to events for the first time, I would recommend at least just having some snacks with you. Uh, and if you are someone who competes regularly at these kind of events, you know, I would I would recommend just thinking through what you need. What is it that you need? And basically, my assumption is just assume that I can't get anything there and and go from there. I think, especially if you have dietary requirements, I think that is the... Yeah, the best way to look at it. Um, again, if you do want to get questions in from the Command and Cookout, we've had some amazing questions roll in over the past few weeks. We actually have a bit of a, a bank up till probably Christmas time now, but uh, we're always open to more questions. And, um, you know, if you've got some really timely questions, we always try and squeeze those in. Uh, and we'll probably do another mailbag sometime soon. And uh, we'll always use the Command and Cookout questions as well. Make sure those get answered. So if you do have a question, you can send those to ArsenalPassFab at gmail.com. You can drop them in the YouTube comments below. You can DM us on uh, Twitter. Uh, or drop them in the Discord if you are an Arsenal Pass Patreon. All right, Brendan, I'm going to throw over to you to talk about Worlds 2022. Yeah, so I'm going to start it off with, uh, I think, a big topic for you, which is travel. So your travel was a bit different than it, it was maybe for the other pro tours, right? You flew in sort of the day before. Um, probably not the best for people that do get jet Like, How did you feel about that travel? How did it affect you? Were you good? Would you change things in the future? Do you feel like you would have preferred to have some more time to potentially play in person, maybe ideate a bit more? What was it like in terms of your travel preparation for this world championship versus something like Pro Tour 2? Mm. Great question. Uh, I'd say like usually the kind of preparation for Worlds includes a few days before, well, sorry, a preparation for a big event like Pro Tour Worlds includes in-person testing time that's kind of what i like to bank in and factor and i think a lot of groups and, and testing teams etc uh from around the world like to do that you know i think team dragon show got on the monday i know a lot of the polish players were in the weekend before and and um set up shop at, at airbnbs and, and hotels and stuff and we're, we're testing drafting uh getting in last reps testing matchups in person things like that um <clears throat> I, I like doing that, especially when we're not locked on decks, which we haven't been for PT1, PT2, where you're getting in a lot of last-minute testing and you can get a lot of reps in very quickly and you're all on the same schedule because, you know, for myself in the past, it's been Brendan, Sasha uh, and others from around the world. Getting on a single time is like near impossible. So being in person, being able to commit this time is like, it's it's invaluable the time, to be honest. Um, <clears throat> World Championship was a lot different for me in this preparation. It, uh, you know, Brendan obviously moving to the coverage side, uh, and for me, 
the the hardest thing about events this year has just been time taken to to get to places and, and taking time off from from work. Uh, a lot of the flights, you know, to get to Europe, it's like near thirty hours. To get to PT one in New Jersey, it's twenty four hours. You know, it's it's a full day of travel in some, um, depending on what time the flight is. So this time was the shortest flight I've had this year for an international event. It was fourteen hours, which still sounds long, but it is a direct flight from Sydney to to San Francisco, and then just a caught a well, I caught a I caught a Brendan Uber down to <laughs> San Jose uh, when he came and picked me up from the airport. But uh, this the shortest flight, so I decided to make the decision to just come in the day before, the morning before, and leave first thing on the Monday to basically treat this as an in-and-out event. So I had no in-person. I don't think I played a single game in person before the event. Uh, I got there on the Friday. I watched Brendan draft. I watched other players play a few games, but I didn't play a single game. Um, and I wouldn't recommend it, like especially if you're someone who does need time to adjust if you don't travel frequently and you, you do suffer from jet lag. And um, just in general, to be honest, just changing time zones is hard. Whether you suffer from jet lag or not, it's going to impact your sleep. So... I wouldn't recommend it. I would always say if you're going to come internationally, you probably want to get there a day or two before. Even if you're coming domestically, probably the, you know at least the the day before the day, right? So the the Wednesday in this case would probably be better. It gives you two nights of of proper sleep. Um, but yeah, it had to be done this time, and it worked out okay for me. I felt I, I felt a little bit tired by sort of midway through day one, but um, day two I felt I felt really good. So, how did you feel about your preparation? <laughs> in general um and are there any lessons learned in particular in regards to how you prepare for this event i think so many people are gonna have lessons learned from this event right because it's, it's three formats we've not had this before pt1 was two formats which we hadn't before hadn't had before apart from the the, uh, the callings that preceded it and then pt1 of course is a bit more straightforward with uh, what was more like a calling format with the, the singular format but easier to prepare for i think a lot of people learned lessons so many people were saying yeah, spend the least amount of time on blitz. You know, it's like the last of the rounds. Uh, you might not even play it if you have a bad day. Uh, people had prepared for it less in general because people had done a ton of uprising draft for PC2. People played a ton of constructed post uprising and it was just about the ban and restricted and a few tweaks. But blitz was near on a pretty brand new format for a lot of people. You know, so many people were saying haven't even played blitz in the past six months. So um, some of my learnings were probably around how you prepare for a multi-format like this. I think for PT2, it was a lot easier to balance two formats. For Worlds, balancing three formats was really tough, and I felt underprepared for Blitz in the end. Uh, I changed my deck the week before. I didn't have enough reps into uh, probably the Mirror and Prism as I would like, and I ended up changing cards the, the night before deck subs had to be done, which I would not recommend either, which I ended up yes. making my deck worse into Prism, which was uh, the two matchups I, or two of the matchups I lost in Blitz, and you know one of them was a winning in. Um, so, yeah, I guess if I was like, okay, lessons learned on preparation for this event is like be a bit more pragmatic about the the structure of the the event and really thinking, you know, for me, for like draft, I, I did a few drafts and, and that was important to, to refresh because I needed to sort of refocus my strategy, I think, a bit after a bit of a slight change from from PT2 into my nationals into, into this event. Uh, but yeah, I wish I spent more time on Blitz and I should have... I should have been a bit for CC. I was really like I knew what hero I was going to play pretty early on, and I knew I had this like list of things. It was like okay, I want to hit these matchups, and um, in my testing time, I was like okay, these these are where I want to spend my time. I didn't really do that with Blitz. It was a bit more like discovery and what's good. And then in the last week, it was like okay, just rush to get reps into things, but not really as focused as I would like. So really big learning on the preparation there. I think if I had replicated my CC testing with Blitz testing, it would have been golden. Um, and you know that's that can be the difference between one or two losses that you you take in the event. I wish I had been there to prevent, to try to convince you from making some uh -huh. of those blitz deck you tried. choices against it. Yeah, <laughs> I know the the blitz. Uh, it, in terms of like uh, 
downgrading from the prison matchup. Yeah, it was it was unfortunate as you got those pairings across. Um, all right, so I'm just going to get in. I just want to talk about the metagame because the class constructed metagame was pretty much what we expected, except there was one deck that was a bit of a surprise, I think, to us us players here in North America, um, and that was Briar, Warden of Thorns. So the top three, uh, the three usual suspects, I would call Fi, Ultimate, and Icelander, they could have came into the tournament sort of being one, two, or three in any in any order, I would have not been surprised. That being said, I would have probably put the most weight on Fi, and Fi was actually the most played deck. The third most played deck, though, was Briar Warden of Thorns, a deck that was not seeing popularity on the regional battle hardened circuit beforehand, despite being pretty much the same deck that won Pro Tour number two. This was not overlooked by the European and Asian regions as it ended up showing up as a third most played deck. I'm just going to talk about the top four here in the exact numbers. We had Fi Rising Rebellion at 85, Old Him, uh, 71, Briar at 53, Icelander at 44. The next the next spots are a bit surprising, but they really could have been anything, right? Dash being the sort of the fifth most played deck here at 25, Jermai 16, and then Bravo Showstopper 14. Particularly surprising to see Dash up in that much, right? Because Dash did have a prolifically bad Phi matchup and Phi being the most played deck. Bravo Showstopper also very much surprised me, mostly because it was actually dominating the top tables in the early parts of the class constructed rounds. And personally, I do believe that Bravo is kind of a worse a worse guardian than old him. And I don't think the cla- that sort of crippling crush and showtime are worth the equity that you lose for not playing, you know, things like Crown of Seeds um, and Stalagmite and stuff like that. But I think that it was uh it was a pretty interesting and dynamic class constructed format. It felt like you could bring pretty much anything to the tournament in the sense there was a lot of decks that were available. And yeah, it was pro- I believe is the most healthy class construction format I've seen, um, maybe of all time. <laughs> the numbers get even weirder when you go look at the calling and some of the top eights in the calling, but that was sort of the world championships for us. Hayden, how did that class constructed meta shape out for you? Is it what you expected? Sort of et cetera, et cetera. I was just going to ask you where Kano was on that list. I didn't hear you say Kano. Kano was, yeah. So there was four players on Kano, three of which were in um, your testing group, and the other one was Mo Bogsley. No surprise, most Bo- Mo Bogsley ended up on Kano. But prolific Kano players like Alexander Ford did not play Kano. So Kano was really under the radar during this tournament, despite being quite similar to the deck that was, uh, you know, their pro tour number one. And the, the meta only favoring Icelander or Kano more and more, right? You have Prison, Living Legend out one of Kano's worst matchups. And the top deck, the quote-unquote top deck, is not a Runeblade. It's not a deck that can easily pack Spell Void. So I was quite surprised to not see more players on Kano. I do understand why. Uh, but yeah, I do. I, I think that this meta was ripe for Kano to come in and disrupt. Mm. Yeah, I mean, for me, meta side, I mean, my the biggest surprise to me was, yeah, like probably everyone had Briar being third. I think that deck's very good, and we talk, we've talked about this on the pod over the last few weeks that the Briar is, is, you know, in no way dead, that, you know, if anything, uh, it's still one of the strongest aggro decks. And, you know, we saw lists very similar to what we saw in the top eight. I think of, like, uh, Bartosz Zimba's deck was probably something we saw pretty similar list to in the end making top eight um, with, with Chris Alley, et cetera. So um, not not surprising to see it do well as well, great conversion rate. Probably Icelander was the surprise for me. For that to be the fourth most played deck, like, I guess really when you looked at it, if you take a step back and look at the data, it's it's not as surprising. The the narrative I think had Icelander higher, had Icelander as maybe like even the second most played deck, right? And like this fire Icelander battle with Ultim kind of there as well. And what it ended up being is that I think people tested, worked out that, you know, Icelander is a deck where you make a couple of mistakes and, and all of a sudden your matchups that are good for you become close and your matchups that are close become potentially unfavorable for you. So uh yeah, it was interesting to see. 
Oh, I actually didn't know the meta breakdown until the end of day one, and it felt to me like there was a lot of Icelander uh, at the top tables. So I think I played three Icelander myself in in uh, PT. So I think I was four and zero, and then played literally three Icelander in a row. I think or two Icelander, then a um, an Ultim, and then another Icelander. So there was a lot of it at the top tables. But looking around at the top tables, like it was the decks you expected to see. It it was it was Icelander. It was Fire. It was Ultim. Uh, and Briar hanging out there as well. I think Fi probably had the toughest time just looking around the top tables anecdotally. Uh, I don't know what the ended up the conversion was because obviously we don't have a day two cut and it's multi format, so it's a little bit messy. But um, I think when you look over at the the calling, you know, to see, I, I, was it one one Fi in the top eight of the calling in the end? Uh, it was like two Reiner. There was you know there was Icelander in there, etc. So um, I think Fi was like the the deck that took the hardest hit in the end based on the meta sort of expectation and, and the breakdown. And, um, you know, probably Briar was the, was the real winner. Well, looking at it from the coverage point of view, Fi was definitely the deck to beat. Um, mm. Just looking at the configurations of the, of the other decks that were not Fi, a lot of them were packing hate for Fi, right? We saw a lot of choke slams in Oldham. We saw things like Crush the Week. We saw Bravo even, even showing his face at the top table. Like people, a lot of people were ready for Fi. Um, and I do believe it's a deck to beat. Speaking to Icelander, um, I was able to go to the Dallas Bile Harden and go to the Battle Harden in Columbus, Ohio. What I think happened is that Michael, Michael Hamilton obviously won with a list that was two cards or it was actually three cards different than the list he won this tournament with. Um, another player top eight with his exact list that he played in, that he won nationals with. A lot of people picked up that deck, right? They took it to the Battle Harden, the regional Battle Harden circuit, and they did not have success with it success with it period even michael hamilton um brought that icelander deck to the columbus battle harden and was not able to make it into top eight ish i do believe it's fundamentally a bit of a harder deck to play and it's actually as the five started packing uh more belittles it, like it, that that matchup was just not a freebie right it became a bit harder um so i think that people picked up icelander didn't have the ex- success that they would have have expected with it and then started to come off of it so i was not too surprised to see it as the fourth most played deck but i do agree there were a lot of narratives around it um but just seeing the class constructed meta evolve from battle harden to battle harden i was thinking yeah i, I think that more people are going to go for Fi. Fi just being sort of that linear aggressive aggro deck that forces its opponent to react yeah i'd love to hear because i know you were you were talking to a lot of players in the lead up to this event so it'd be great to hear your kind of insight of what you learned from those players you know about what was their perception of the meta? What were the things that they were doing to try and attack a, a meta they thought was going to happen? But the thing I kind of noticed from watching a bit of coverage back already is like the kind of this, the, one of the things that was a discussion point was like Ultim. People were shifting to this like Frostfang Pummel Ultim. That was like something to mm-hmm. disrupt the fires to make that matchup better, you know, more proactive and also just how good Pummel is against Icelander. But what, what were you hearing from, from your side doing all that sort of background detective work you were doing, talking to players, listening to teams? Honestly, there was a lot of players that were that were just playing Fi um, because they thought it was the best aggro deck and the most resilient deck. Like Fi did not have really bad matchups, right? I think that even the Guardians that were teched to beat Fi were not particularly favored into it, maybe slightly, but you can even see on coverage some of those decks that were very, very teched to beat Fi just get run over by that deck because it's just so powerful and it does this thing pretty much every game. Um, I heard about a lot of players that were playing Briar, right? This was something that I had sort of suspected for a while and talked about the pod for a long time. I was like, why are people not playing this deck? And the the answer was, oh, Oldham's playing Hypothermia and Icelander's got free more of a free reign because... Um, because Prism Prism has Living Legend out, but Icelander was falling in popularity. These Ultim lists, I looked at ev- every single one that came across uh, it came across online or sort of in the coverage booth at Columbus, Ohio. None of them were playing Hypothermia, and you could see that they were all sort of swifting to this more ice build. 
it was a like I, I think the meta was ripe for you for Briar to to make a to sort of make a splash, and it did. It, it, it performed the best out of any class constructed deck at the tournament, even better than Kano Hayden. Kano, which was surprising. Um, you know, maybe some of your other teammates there bringing down the. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was, it, I would say that overall, this is pretty much exactly what I expected. I did expect Icelander to be above Briar, and I was very surprised to see Dash as the fifth most played deck. I think that Dash was not well positioned at all in this meta. I think Dash was a a pick to um I mean I didn't see the list. My kind of my thought when I saw it was that people were packing Dash to uh what could potentially be like a really <laughs> that is a giant bottle of water you're drinking from Brendan. <laughs> um if you're not if you're not uh, watching the youtube stream brendan just picked up He's you know you know breaking the, the fourth wall like that what <laughs> are you doing you're supposed to play it off you know when you you have those like coolers like an office or like an event and people they put the bottle on top to like that's literally what brendan just drunk from i swear it's just a gallon jug it's, okay. it's normal man um, i think people were looking to take advantage of ultims of people thinking that in the end the discourse and what people would find is that ultim was favored into five regardless of what you believe i think that's what people thought and they were taking uh, ultim as a pick uh to potentially go into that and if you're playing this kind of in-between version where you can just like boost to heck and be super aggressive you can potentially still just beat fires as well beat, beat briars etc so um I, th- I think in the end that is kind of what what happened um but yeah it was it was an interesting breakdown what about sort of from the fire side like what were you hearing from these teams these groups what was their their mirror plan because obviously we we i think everyone thought that fire would if not be the top deck probably be the top the second deck so did people have plans what were they thinking so it's 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 a tale as old as time where you need to draw the art of wars and your opponent needs to not but we did see a dichotomy between mask of the pouncing links and mask of momentum mm-hmm. and a, the addition of cards like engulfing flame wave actually in the mirror um Outside of that, I didn't hear, hear too much tech other than like very spicy tech, which didn't actually show up. Um, but it does seem fundamentally in the mirror. The biggest question is between a card like Mask of the Pouncing Links or Mask of the Momentum, and people are very, very diehard on which one is correct. And the community, I do believe, is currently split on that. Yeah, so interesting because to me, I just assumed that everyone was like, yeah, Links is the way. Um, whereas like I have also thought that at times it was like, well, Mask of Momentum. But you know, one of the things that we found as a testing group with Fire is like, you know, blocking is pretty good. You can defend. And I was like, well, I think in that case, people should probably just be playing links. Um, so it was interesting to hear that people were still kind of split on it. I think it depended on what cards you had, what you thought the game plan was overall. Could you could you try and, uh, you know, if people were playing Musker Momentum, did that mean that you could defend more and and look for your opportunity to, to dig for Art of Wars, et cetera? Um, mm. Yes. So not to get too spicy, but I do actually think Mask of the Pouncing Links is probably one of the the, the biggest targets for a band because it is effectively... So quantitatively, I think it is actually carrying Husk without a downside. It almost always represents six damage on board and it has that dual modality being able to block as well. Like if you absolutely need in this scenario, it's a crazy piece of equipment. But yeah, I mean, you're looking at a permanent that you start with on the battlefield that does at least pretty much at least six damage. Like it's super, super powerful. Um the idea with Mask of Momentum is that with these Fidex is in the mirror is that you can threaten it twice, right? If you can threaten it once, it's definitely not good enough. It's not better than Mask of Pouncing Links. But if you can threaten it twice every single turn, maybe um, I'm definitely a Mask of Pouncing Links. Uh, I'm, yeah. I'm in that group. I think something to think about, two things on that, is like what's the value of the the unknown card you could draw off the top, right? And you've got to average that out across your deck. Like what if it's a blue? What if it's a, a red? 
um, uh, uh, zero cost attack. What if it's say an engulfing flame wave, whatever it might be? Uh, you've got to you've got to even and, and weigh that up, right? Uh, but the the other side of it is like, well, if the, you know, if you think if you believe and firmly believe in your testing, the game is like max four turns. Presenting mass momentum every second, you know, twice on a cha- on a turn, is that good enough? You know, like draw, drawing two cards, three cards, is that going to outweigh the the plus six, plus seven, plus eight potential of of the links? And that's why I think you have to work out, especially if people are trying to downgrade your links to closer to a six damage. Because if you if your opponent doesn't block, links can be worth a lot more than six. Mm-hmm. Um, it it really depends. You've got to weigh that up. So it's a bit of a, a philosophical discussion. The last thing I wanted to say on that is, I agree with you. Masked pouncing links, I think, is potentially. I heard Amy Levice might be top of the list, but uh, all right, let's not let's not. No, there's no bla- no need for blasphemy in in this household, Hayden. <laughs> I I heard I heard that uh, one particular uh, dev thought that Amy Levice maybe should have uh, been hit, but um, Mask of Pouncing Links, Crouching Tigers, uh, and some of these combo uh, plans that can be played with Mask of Pouncing Links might be a little bit busted. Salt the wound for fifteen. Yeah, it's already good enough, and it's just—it's the thing about equipment. Like, there's there's got to be some way of evaluating equipment, sort of quantitatively, and deciding like what's the threshold that's too much. And six is probably too much, um, and it's very consistently going to be six. Nevertheless, I am not going to be st- you know sitting on my rooftop yelling for bands. I think this class constructor meta was freaking awesome um so let's go into blitz i'm just going to quickly break it down for y'all and i do think that i'm going to preface by saying this is absolutely exactly what i expected except for the green man which creeped up here so we got Icelander at 106 old him at 72 chain at 50 prism at 35 reinar at 22 kasai at 11 and dorinthia at 8 and then the rest is sort of usual suspects on the line important to note five was at six and five being the most played deck at the battle hard dallas blitz event which was I don't even know why that was. <laughs> but yeah, Icelander, the best deck. I do think it is fundamentally, and it's not up for too much debate as the best deck in Blitz. The cool thing about it, though, is that it can be built in actually many different ways. Hayden is going to do a deck tech on sort of their build, which was quite different. Um, you see builds utilizing pure spells, but you, more Bolander builds, builds with more zero for fours, builds that run Staff Dragon Scalers, et cetera, et cetera. But when it comes to Blitz, and I have been shouting this from my rooftop, Hayden, is I think that if Blitz is not a turn zero, turn one combo format, the most unfair thing you can do in Blitz is just be quantitatively above your opponent by one to two damage on each turn cycle. And if you do that and you're able to take two turns in a row, as Icelander is, you will likely win most of your gains unless you get absolutely juiced by Reiner himself. Yeah, Reiner coming in at 22, not a deck I expected to be there. Uh, Prism also, despite being the fourth most played deck, was absolutely rife at the top tables. So many prism at the top tables um, there to prey on old him and also prey on Icelander. But I do think that fundamentally it's Icelander matchup is not a, not even close, definitely not a 90, 10 and it's more of a 55, 45. If that depends how the Icelander is built. Great meta, great blitz meta. I actually thought that it was quite healthy and um, I expected overall, I expected more chain. I'll say that. Yeah, me, me too. Uh, evidently, by the cards that I changed uh, not long before the event started. But the 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 thing about this meta is like it's so unexplored. Like you could point and be like, "Wow, Prism was like too strong," and like all Icelanders too as a two horse format or whatever. But so unexplored this format. Like just talking to the players at these top tables, talking to the players who play these events, like they scratched the surface because that's all you could do in the time frame. You know, the bans happened uh six weeks ago i think if that five weeks ago like you could scratch the surface and that's it and there's and plus you had to deal with as constructed you had to deal with retouching on uprising draft etc so 
there's so much more to be said for this uh, this Blitz, Blitz, Blitz format, and we're about to have a new set come in and inject itself into the format. So I think there's so much room for for growth and exploration. And um, yeah, I, I thought one of the most interesting things about this Blitz format was, yes, Prism 35 decks, I think there was about seven or eight at the top tables. And I think a big part of it, now there's a bit of a, a fallacy here, I think, but you can expect certain players, or at least a, a percentage of certain players to be at the top tables come the end of an event. like. The best players are the best players and they're not going to perform every event but a chunk of them will and if you think that the best players are going to do a certain thing you know be that play icelander then why not play prism if you're one of those other best players and, and try and target them if you think prism is good into that deck so i think that's what we saw i think we saw some good players make some really good decisions about what they wanted to take and um you know the round i want to say it was, yeah round 15 i played chris ali for it was our winning in for top eight the winner of that match was going to be in the top eight no matter what happened in the last round and uh chris was playing prism and he made it he talked to me afterwards he said you know I, just people were going to play icelander we made this decision to play prism because we thought that the best players were going to play icelander and 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 that's what happened so um yeah really interesting meta and i'm i'm excited actually I think we have a skirmish season coming up or we're maybe it's about to be announced, but I think it's the best time for a skirmish season because this format feels great. Funny anecdote is I talked to a lot of players that were not playing Icelander. Most of the players that weren't also in Prism. So players playing Old Him, Chain, Reinar, Kasai, etc. And all of them actually told me that Icelander was the best deck. There are so many people being like, yep, Icelander is the best. Oh, what are you playing, Chain? It's like, what? Oh, what are you playing, Old Him? It was just, it was funny to see that because... I don't think that the Blitz format is something, and I haven't heard too many complaints, but I don't think it's something you should be complained about. It feels quite fair. Uh, I would say that that Prism is the uh, best, sorry, that Iceland is the best deck. But if you're going to say Iceland is the best deck, you better be playing it next time. (laughs) All these Oldheimers were like, yeah, Iceland is the best, but I just had to play Oldheim. I was like, dude, Oldheim's the worst. (laughs) I think Ultim might be potentially one of them. I thought it was reasonable, but more and more towards the event and through the event, I actually think it was potentially a pretty pretty poor pick um the the one thing i want to i want to ask you this question because uh, this came up but i want to first of all sort of say my piece on it a lot of people if you haven't seen this so round 16 of uh the pro tour the last round of blitz uh, there is a game on the feature match between a unknown icelander player and a uh, a reiner player named zach uh the Icelander player that was my favorite named. game i'm so happy you brought that up <laughs> and uh the reiner player intimidates the whole end of the icelander player puts them to six on turn zero and then proceeds to take their whole hand for the next two turns uh, and eventually kill them. And uh, yes, that Icelander player was me, but no, it was not a win. And in the end, I would have been ninth uh, because I needed either Michael Hamilton or uh, Rob Catton to lose, and they both won. So I would have been ninth. So it's okay, guys. It's all right. Uh, but a lot of people messaged me afterwards and said, wow, like how you must feel devastated. And that points to why Blitz is such a terrible format. And I actually just disagree, to be honest. I Like I was the one sat in that chair and I understand what people are saying, but like, that that is a meta pick. Like Zach made a meta call to play Reiner to play a deck that has the capability to do this, but also has you know is not as consistent. Has potential issues into decks like Chain and Kasai, which he which he dodged as as far as I understand and played a lot of uh, Icelander and and, um, and and Prism and Ultim etc. So yeah, I just want to say that I think the kind of criticism being leveled at Blitz as a as a world format, you know, everyone got the chance to test this format, and I think this format's quite deep and make their choices, and um, you know, games like that. Yeah, they're going to happen, but they're actually not going to happen that often. And, you know, people who play a deck like Reinar, like we considered it, but you've got to take into account. We, we tested it. We tested yeah. Iceland first Reinar, and we just decided that on the Delta, that doesn't happen as often as you want it to, right? And that's why we picked Icelander. 
Yeah, I mean, I still think Reinar is favored into Icelander, even if they don't do that. But, you know, like you've got to contend with Chain, you've got to contend with the other decks. So, yeah, I just, I don't know, what are your thoughts on this kind of criticism being leveled of like, this is an example of why Blitz shouldn't be a Worlds format, et cetera? I totally disagree, but I also think that it was funny how we banned Storm Strider needs to be banned in Icelander, but the argument that it was banned in Kano because <laughs> it, it was no that it, because it was because of like unfun, uh, you know, interactions. It's like I told you, the big green man will literally kill you on turn zero. It's like you can't have you can't have your cake and eat it. It's like you also got to do so. Um, hopefully, we get our Storm Strider back in Kano and total derail. But I thought Hayden, when you started that, when you started talking about that, I thought we were going to get our first Hayden Dale bad beat story. You're like, so no shit. There I was, last round of the Pro Tour, barraging beatdown, <laughs> Alpha Rampage discards massacre, <laughs> dude. I got to tell little Anto. So I was standing beside that match. I actually, was not casting. And I kid you not, his opponent did that. And then looks at him and he goes, huh, feels like my whole tournament's been like that. <laughs> I was like, oh, I was laughing so hard. Charles is, is, a, great is a good dude. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he went 8 and 0 on day two, just a monster run to, uh, to finish in the top 16 from 4 and 4 on day one. But yeah. Anyway, I wanted to ask your opinion on that. Uh, look, I, I understand. I get it why people will sort of point to that match. And yeah, those things can happen. And. Uh, but also if you're like if you're rooting for the rhino in that situation like what a freaking game to watch you know what i mean like it's um yeah very interesting We're, what else do you want to cover from a world's perspective there's you know i wouldn't mind talking about a couple of like lessons learned and stuff but is there anything from from your side brennan you want to kind of go through mm, so overall venue and atmosphere atmosphere great venue could be better it was effectively a large tent I actually I watched the video of the flag procession. The venue looks freaking sick in that video for some reason. Like the way they framed it looks great. But as a player, it was like, okay, we're at the World Championships. We're in a tent. So I have to say, don't hate me, James White, but I think we can do better next year. And I think that Legend Story thinks that we can do better as well. Um, I was surprised that we weren't actually in the convention center too. Uh, but atmosphere is great. People from all around the world, first world trapping, first world championship. People were super hyped. Um, a lot of positivity, and I think overall everybody had a fantastic weekend. Yeah, the atmosphere was electric, is what I would say. Like people were so excited to be there, and rightly so. Like it, it was an amazing event. And yeah, like like you say, the venue had left a lot to be desired. But my understanding is James was not happy with that, that venue. Uh, I think that was not something that. He had uh, much say in, and I think he found out what that venue looked like not long before the event started. That's my understanding, at least. So I would expect that it's probably one of the worst venues we're going to see for an organized flesh and blood play event of this level um, and expect to see better in the future. But all that said, like, you know, it, it definitely wasn't enough to take away from the event. And by day two, day three, like, people were just like, yeah, whatever. Like, I'm just having a great time. I'm at the World Championships. I'm at the Calling San Jose. The side events were popping on the last day, like all the way through until like eight or nine o'clock, I think it was going off uh, on, on day two as well. Like, there was just so many things happening. And I think overall, like the experience for the majority of people was was hugely positive. And I'm sure there was, you know, some, some not so positive stories. But I think for what was, for the negatives, the, the positives just so far outweighed it. And um, yeah. Great, great experience, I thought. Yeah, so I think I'll just talk a little bit about, from my end as a caster, just quickly. Um, I did really enjoy it. Uh, casting was actually something that <clears throat> I'd wanted to do since my inception in Flesh and Blood. So the first Austin calling, when I met James and Sasha, I did tell them that I wanted to be a caster eventually. <clears throat> unfortunately, I did, I, not unfortunately, but I had turned down a previous opportunity at the Calling Vegas. I'd come off winning four road to nationals in a row. So I just felt like I was too well positioned to potentially start taking down some of these tournaments. Um, and I denied it. I had sort of pushed it off. 
the opportunity to cast the world championships was a huge opportunity at that. And I'm very grateful I was able to get it. Um, a lot of people helped me out there. Um, uh, sort of the usual suspects, the Tandon, Flake, Brian Gottlieb's, like they vouched for me and helped me get sort of that amazing first opportunity. I would say that a lot of people came up and asked me, is this something you'd want to do again, et cetera, et cetera. Ultimately, that question, I would say on my side is yes, but I, I'm i the least important answer, least important answer to that question. The most important answer is, would you and would you all want me to cast again? It depends. Like it, The most important thing is how it was received, if you enjoyed it, and if you thought I brought value. If so, it is something I would consider in the future. I did get a lot of nice comments, I think, <laughs> but I'm pretty wary of nice comments because I, I feel like... A lot of people would just give them to be to be complimentary, to be nice, and you know, if you're coming up to say hi, it's like it's an e- it's easy, low to the ground compliment. So I'm always a bit, you know, on my toes in case. But uh, I would say that if it's something you enjoyed, I know that on my on my side, looking back, um, my microphone was a bit loud because I had to project my voice. Unfortunately, I have a bit of a range. So as you know, and Hayden, okay. Hayden's talked about on the podcast, I got a range, and it is absolutely absolutely devastating to be too quiet. It's simply not an option. That's one way to never come back and to potentially ruin an entire cast. I do think that my volume probably should have been turned down a little bit on the production side, maybe turned down the EQ. But at that, if you can understand what I'm saying and I'm able to sort of portray myself in a way that adds value to the to the conversation, I'm happy that I did that. And I'll work on sort of the the volume and the voice work in the future. But um, yeah, if you enjoyed, let me know. Maybe shoot a comment below. But the most important thing and the best thing that you could do if you feel passionate about it is let LSS know. Like if you thought that that it was a good job and you want me to come back, that's the best thing you can do. Cause that's the only way they get feedback. They probably not a lot of feedback comes from casters, right? Maybe you have told me personally, but if you're able to sort of reach out, let them know, then that's the way to have me back. But I had a fantastic time and it was a pleasure and an honor to call the the matches of the the best players in the world. Yeah, uh, I got a second there. If you, Brendan, I thought I've watched back a little bit of coverage, and I thought you did an amazing job. I thought you know the you brought a level of detail. I think <laughs> oh my, this gallon of water is going to do me, and I, I tell you what, um, it did an amazing job in terms of what you brought to the the matches. And I, I, I would, I hope that we see you back in, in the booth again. And I would just second what Brendan said. You know, if you want to see Brendan there, like please throw some support. You know, it sounds like. We're asking for for you to go and like plug Brendan, but it's not. It's like if you really genuinely enjoyed uh, Brendan's coverage, like please do go and give that feedback because, like Brendan says, LSS have no real way of knowing other than the feedback they they receive from from the players and those watching the coverage at home. So, um, um please do so. And if you've got any particular things you want to drop in the comments and let Brendan know about, that'll also get you in the uh, the draw for this uh, this fab swag pack for this five k. But yeah, no, gr- great job, Brendan. And I'm excited to go back and watch some some more coverage. I haven't watched back my. Uh, I know you didn't cover the last game. I haven't watched that yet, but also I, I think you covered my Dash game, which I think was a great game. So I'm excited to go and watch that. But I heard and I did listen to it. Thought you did a good job casting my Kano game as well. And uh, I know you were you all you wanted was a Kano game on stream, and you got it. So yeah, you'll like the Dash game a bit more because I was very I was very uh, I was very focused on that need the need to draw the second hypothermia, and it came at like the perfect time. It was that was that was the best game. Now, actually, Hayden, I'll tell you right now, that was the best game that I cast on camera. Um, maybe aside. From the top eight game with Michael Hamilton, mm-hmm. um, the first match where the opponent Arsenal the sink blow, which I know is probably is a mistake after you know the brain freeze has revealed, but it was awesome to watch Michael Hamilton adjust his game plan on the fly to a situation that he's never seen and just win the game out from there. 
I think if we look back retrospectively, we might be like, okay, it's quite, you know, if we were really to break it down right now with, a, with all of our facilities, we could be like, yes, that is objectively correct for Michael to do. And there's this like very simple way to win the game, but to on the fly at the world championships, adjust and develop a game plan that you have never played before, never seen before, never practiced for, like that is sort of what a champion does. And it was awesome to cast that game um, from my perspective. I do have to give a shout out to all the other casters in the booth, Eric, Brian Gottlieb, Tannen, Flake. It was fantastic to be able to work with them, true professionals. And yeah, they really brought me under the wing. I only got the rookie treatment from Flake. He, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm analytical. So at one point he, he was like, Hey man, hey man, you got, you got, they do this like head to head thing where they, there's two names that come up and their records and the term. He's like, you got it. You got this next one. And then it pops up. By the way, Flake like is, has, I think he's of Polish descent or something like that pops up to just like absolutely straight consonants, like Polish names. And I'm just like, dude <laughs> it was totally on accident but it was hilarious because there was it there was no way i could read it and we didn't get any sort of phonetic spelling at that point but just a funny little anecdote from behind the booth i saw that i saw that i uh, have like gift to have me over this one um no great great stuff i want to um talk a little bit about just before we kind of wrap up some like lessons learned from like a you know playing an event of the scale in worlds and and the current format as well as we head into dynasty uh, that I kind of want to share. And I don't know if I've really said this to you, Brendan, so I think you know, even Brendan might find these interesting. But one of my biggest takeaways from the weekend was test. I think I talked about this a little bit already, about preparation. Testing in a way that's going to set you up for the event you're about to play. So many things I heard from people was that they did not touch Uprising Draft again and really struggled. The draft meta had evolved and changed. People had new ideas about how they wanted to approach the format. They had card evaluation had changed for them. And some people were stuck in the, Pro Tour Lille or even, you know, Nationals meta and hadn't retouched this format and got punished for it. Uh, I, I think trying to uh, have your testing reflect the event you're about to play is like one of the biggest things I take away from this. My downfall was Blitz, like I said before. For others, it was Uprising. Uh, for, you know, I think very few was a Class Constructed. I think Class Constructed across the board was the the, the time most spent by most players uh, from what I heard. Uh, I think as well, like kind of a, a big learning is like these kind of split formats as well really demand you to switch your mentality quickly as well so you go from draft three rounds to classic constructed and that is a you know it's a very different uh sort of game that you're about to play and especially if you're playing different sort of decks you know you go from maybe you drafted fi in in your first draft and now all of a sudden you're playing like ultim or something like it can be quite a quite a big mental shift and i think you have to be prepared for that they do give you like a 45 minute break but i think it's important that you kind of like Take that time, like reset, get like maybe you had a bad draft, but it has to be put out of the way. And that was like a, a big thing, I think, was a, was a takeaway for a lot of people, including myself, was like move on from the last the last format. Stop thinking about it and, and think about the next. Um, yeah. So we didn't talk about it, but Hayden actually six out drafts. So you should probably listen to what he says when it comes to that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really keen to talk more about this draft format, but it's basically done now. But I, I have so much to say, and I talked to a lot of people about this during the event. Before the before the event started, draft was what I felt most confident about. It's something that I revisited a little bit post Lille and Nationals, but it's also something that I felt my fundamental understanding was continuing to improve. And I disagreed with a lot of people that said, like, you know, this is one of the worst draft formats. It's so variance based. There's so many things that can go wrong. It's all about the people that pass to you. It's not about your decisions, et cetera, et cetera. I, like, I disagree with basically all of it, to be honest. I think this draft format is quite technical and i mean i disagree with people about this in, in tales of aria as well um but like all i'll say is i think just i don't know that's my view and 
I think I've gone eleven and one in my last uh, last rounds of draft at, at OP, you know, large OP events. So I don't know. <laughs> yeah, uprising was definitely the set that I've had the hardest time in in terms of drafting. And I'm I know personally, just for my own sanity's sake, I'm excited to get into a new set just so I can have a fresh start. Yeah, uprising just it it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't my draft set, um, but I do. I do think that I mean I was super happy when you went six zero in draft. It was absolutely what you need in that like in in that tournament. There's nothing better than sort of xoing your draft and going to those constructed formats, just having that cushion. So that was awesome. Um, I know you did force fi absolutely through both drafts. No, <laughs> definitely did not do that. Played the Icelander and was able to squeak it out. Um, anything else, Hayden? Before we close, I know we're running a bit long. I we've said it a million times the weekend was awesome i'm super excited for the next one um the community in flesh and blood it's just yeah. it's amazing right like i i, I haven't been it i don't think i'll ever be able to match these experiences ever again in my life and i just truly appreciate um the opportunity to have them and share them with you all yep Com- completely sort of second that the, the last thing i want to share in terms of one of my big learnings from the testing process, the weekend, and kind of flesh and blood this year, to be honest, is around hero selection and deck selection for these events. And I've flip-flopped between, you know, I want to, I just, a quick sort of like journey of where my year's been. My Australian Nationals win at the start of the year came from being really locked in early on a, on a deck, on this Viscerai deck and tweaking and tuning and learning the matchups as much as possible to top 16 at PT1 on a deck that I changed the night before. And I felt like, well, I can do either, right? PT Lil again was a bit more of a, a representation of that kind of swapping in late, building a deck late and not having the reps and being com- honestly quite punished for it. Uh, and that was a big learning coming into this World Championships was I wanted to lock on something pretty early and just get the reps, have the best fundamental understanding of game plans I could and have the tightest matchup plans. And I, to be honest, I actually think that's that's what Michael did as well. That's what like your, your world champion did. He, he stuck to his guns with Icelander. He improved his matchups. He tweaked deck. He, he just got reps and learned the matchups inside and out and got thoroughly rewarded for it and i felt that way about kano you know i don't i wouldn't say that maybe kano was the best pick for the weekend i personally didn't want to play any of the top three decks for various reasons uh so kano was like one that talking with like sasha knew he was going to lock in on early and was like yeah i'm here for the journey let's just like learn this deck inside now and come up with the best list and my kind of big takeaway is I, i think for me that's the preferred option going forward it might not always be solution like you know something like a lightning briar might be found out two weeks before a big event and you know it's time to pivot and adjust but this format i think and this sorry this game class constructed as a format i think we have longer time periods of events now you know we're getting two or three large events with pretty similar formats and i think you can get really rewarded for i wouldn't say being a specialist but really understanding and learning your your deck and tweaking it for the meta and and uh and adapting to the meta and i think if you have a few heroes on tap that you can go to to do that i think that really helps so my kind of yeah my big my big learning is i think if you want to be really good at this game i think learning a couple of heroes from different kind of segments of the pies so to speak and uh and playing those at events and and just being prepared to move between them and find the best list and have the best game plans is probably going to reap you the, the best rewards but that could change in the future but that was kind of my big learning from not just this event but but this year i think yeah, and I think I agree with you at this point in the game. With so many heroes available, I think that uh, sort Can't of them all. Hunker, hunkering, yeah, hunkering down a few and truly being a master of those is you see players consistently reap their boards of uh, using that strategy. So I, I totally agree with you. Um, 
Hayden, before I let you close at the entire pod, just going to circle back around to some of the Arsenal Pass Fitness Challenge stuff. So we already talked about it's a marathon um, in Austin, Texas on February 19th. That does include a 5K and a half marathon, which are both available. Um, We have tons of other big content creators involved. This is sort of a soft announcement. I'm sure it'll be hard announcing over the next month or two. But if you are interested, definitely get involved. Let me know. Hayden's going to, we're going to put our our referral link and our team invite link in the uh, description below on YouTube. That referral link just to kind of link us all together so they know that we're all signing up together. It's not for any sort of monetary benefit or anything like that. Um, do keep in mind though, a marathon is, is, is a lot. So if that's something you have in mind, definitely start training. And if you want to join me on that journey, come join the Arsenal Pass Patreon Discord. There'll be a bunch of other people, I'm sure, on that journey as well, sort of learning it as we go and trying to accomplish this. Um, and yeah, half marathon 5k as well. Uh, we'll be distributing merch, prizes, raffles for all of these. Hopefully we'll get some sponsors, you know, try to help some people get out there. Like this really does have the opportunity to be the biggest uh, community event that Flesh and Blood has done up until now. And I think it's awesome. We had a lot of good feedback off the last uh, fitness challenge and we have an opportunity in flesh and blood to sort of shift the paradigm, right, of the community. There's no reason why this shouldn't be a part of it. And I think if we're impacting positive change, which it seems that the last one did, is something we should absolutely, absolutely push forward to. So I'm very excited. Um, so yeah, Arsenal Pass, Patreon Discord for like direct line of communication and training and all that. Um, and yeah, keep it, mark your calendars, February 19th. And by the way, if you, <laughs> just so you know, so you don't get caught off guard, off guard, Austin is hilly, very hilly. So it's uh, it's going to be tough. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, get, get involved and um, more details to come. Episode 83 of Arsenal Pass World Championship. So I guess this is a bit more of a human interest pod, but um, you know, I enjoy taking a break from really specific competitive content and talking about the community and the the things that happen in this community and and um, reflecting on things like this. And, you know, we did get to talk about the formats and, and what happened. And I'm excited to see what Dynasty has in store for us with the release this weekend. I'm going to be heading to a couple of these armor events because honestly, Brendan, I haven't said this, but I wanted to end the pod with this. My plan was actually to take about a six to eight week break from Flesh and Blood. Uh, my plan was to still do the pod and still do some content. But <laughs> I think at this point, I'm probably not going to. I'm probably going to play through with Dynasty. Uh, but, you know, I think I'm probably going to end up skipping ProQuest Season 1 at this point. Uh, because it, it doesn't make sense to to play at this point anyway. Um, and it's a shorter window and I can take a few weeks break and see what happens when we get some OP announcements for next year. But we'll, uh, we'll see what happens. So episode 84 coming next week is going to be a, di- a dive into Dynasty and Class Constructed and Blitz. So, uh, you know, if you're out for more of that uh, level up sort of stuff that we do put out there, I think next week's going to be a great pod. But if you do want to follow us, we're on Twitter, Brendan APG over there. I'm a Fian underscore Dale, come and join in Fab Twitter. It's popping off post worlds. A lot of stuff happening over there. Uh, come and join in. It's you know it's the best version of Twitter, I would say. And I you know I don't whether you want to talk about what's happening with Twitter and whatever. Uh, big shout out to all of our patrons. If you're not an Arsenal Pass patron and do want to join up, it's uh, patreoncom Pass. We do have a lot of stuff coming up this month with these deck techs we've got coming up and uh, other things with Dynasty. And uh, yeah, just go and drop a, a, a like and a comment on this YouTube and be subbed YouTube video and go in the draw to win this uh, swag pack that we're going to be giving out when it's announced next week. So you've got until, uh, what, Wednesday, US, uh, Tuesday, US time uh, before we grab two winners for that. I have a funny ending anecdote. Go a on. little tidbit, a little, a little, a little, a little cherry on top for you all. Um, so in relation to Twitter, when Michael Hamilton uh, got on the broadcast to do his Pro Tour champion interview, 
they put my Twitter handle under his name on accident for a solid 10 seconds. I got probably over a hundred followers. My phone just, Oh my so goodness. Funny. Probably 10 seconds was just at Brendan APG. Um, just a little anecdote, a little funny situation that happened, but yeah, until next time, see y'all next week. Yeah. <laughs>